Section 20 of Psychological Warfare. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Psychological Warfare by Paul M. A. Leinbarger. Chapter 11. Plans and Planning. With most military planning, it is feasible to work from the top down to find the strategic objective and then work out the actual requirements of the operation in advance. This is not true of psychological warfare. Footnote. While this statement is plainly a matter of individual opinion, the author considers that his own experience supports his opinion in this instance. He wrote plans on almost every operating level in the governmental and military hierarchy during World War II, all the way from drafting plans for the joint American and combined British-American chiefs of staff, down to helping field agents in the China theater work out practical little propaganda plans for their own missions, or planning the writing, use, and classification of leaflets one by one in collaboration with OWI operators. He found planning to be fascinating at the top and worthwhile at the bottom of the pyramid, but he found no significant correlation between the top and the bottom, save in the sense which he makes plain. End of footnote. The objectives may be defined, and in the process of definition, the general needs of a propaganda agency may be clarified. If a plan calls for a press or a radio, somebody can requisition a Davidson press or a Hallicrafter radio and get ready to use it. But the plan cannot define goals, set time limits for the achievement of the goals, relate the goals to one another in a scheduled prefixed program of success, establish terms whereby psychological victory can be told from psychological defeat. Psychological victory exists only in terms of the military victory which it is designed to assist. Psychological defeat, no matter how much critics or the enemy propagandist may allege it, can be proved to exist only when an actual defeat makes it real. Psychological plans are always contingency plans for the assistance of military operations. They are dependent on the military operation, and they cannot be checked against fact except in terms of the military operations they ostensibly support. Unfortunately, they were not always written with these reservations in mind. Needs of the Operator, Materials and Guidance American officers assisting foreign troops could not plan logistics until they found out what the foreign troops actually required. How much did they eat and what? How much could they carry and for how long? How much tonnage had to be sent them and how often? Such questions had to be asked about the needs of the individual men before unit planning not to mention national planning, became possible at all. Similarly, in psychological warfare, planning can be made realistic if it starts with the individual operation for the control of which the planning is done. Define the operator as anyone having a task in the actual preparation, production, or transmission of propaganda materials, whether through electric communications or by print. The operator is not usually a person with a high security classification, yet he plays his indispensable part in fulfilling the highest and most secret strategy of the war. How can a plan be written that will be useful in carrying out the actual and highly secret strategy of the war while meeting the needs of an inexpert individual way down at the bottom of the control system? The answer is, of course, that no such plan can be prepared. Different plans are needed for successive phases. The operator needs simple but basic materials. If he is a producer of some kind, such as a creative writer, an artist, a singer, a program arranger, a newscaster who does his own scripts, and so on, he is likely to be a person with ideas of his own. Individual creativeness cannot usually be turned on and off like a faucet. 
low-ranking and disciplined though the hired writer may be, he is still subject to the inward frailties of authors, if he is any good. This particular author sympathized deeply with some poor American Japanese who were given unbelievably dull outlines and told, turn this into exciting Japanese material, give it pep, make it rock them off their tatami, but don't get away from that outline one damn inch. The Nisai rolled their eyes. They did a poor job, as they knew that they would. The person who has to be told day in and day out how to operate is no operator at all. Psychological warfare is no place for unsuccessful short story writers or would-be radio commentators. It demands professional standards, and it has more than professional difficulties. Therefore, what the operator needs is not technical instruction, but general guidance. He must be told what he can say, what he cannot say. He should, whenever possible, be given some reason for perplexing or cryptic instructions. He should be helped to become familiar with what we are trying to tell the enemy. There is nothing classified about that, since the enemy is to be told it as soon as possible. The guidance given the operator should be 1. Plain 2. Feasible This sounds superfluous, but was not so during World War II, when operators were sometimes told to attack such and such an enemy institution without referring to it directly or indirectly. 3. Organized the material at OWI was not organized until the last several months of the war, with the result that hundreds of thousands of words of propaganda commands remained in force, technically, but unindexed and arranged only by weekly form. 4. Specific in showing timing. General controls should not be issued at the beginning of operations. When revised, the revision should supersede the revised section and not be placed beside it, other provisions should be given expiration dates after which they pass out of effect. 5. Mandatory. Control should be expressed in do or don't. Personal advice is better conveyed through informal channels. 6. Non-security or low classified. This material for the operators should be accessible to the operators. Often the most important operator, the best newsman, the most effective leaflet artist, may be a rather doubtful citizen an alien, or even an enemy volunteer. He cannot follow guidances unless he knows them, and it makes a farce of security for his superior to be able to tell him the guidance so that he can memorize it, but not able to give him the document itself. These rules, though simple, are not always easy to follow. Here is an example of a bad guidance. Classified. Without superseding instructions concerning religion, we may use the occasion of the sacred banyan tree festival to needle the provisional president, make a dramatic story of the president's life, undermine his use of religion to bolster the dictatorship. Caution, do not mention religion. Do not indulge in scurrilous personal attacks. Material considering our information of the president's biography is highly classified and must not be used. The exaggeration may seem apparent, but it is a fair sample of the worst directives as actually issued, and many, though not quite so bad, were near it. The same guidance in more acceptable form would read, Unrestricted. Expires 24 September, week following festival. Standing instructions make Banyan Tree Festival difficult topic with which to deal. If operators can suggest means of referring to festival without violating prohibitions against religious offense, encourage them to try. Monitoring and diplomatic sources show that provisional president is utilizing festival to consolidate his position. If he can be attacked, do so. The other need of the actual operator is material. The scriptwriter needs actual texts of everyday enemy speech, 
in order to keep his slang and idiom up to date. The artist needs correct photographs of enemy cities in war times so that the leaflet picture he makes will not look as outmoded as a crinoline or a Model T. All of them need all the information they can get about their own country. Good handbooks, dictionaries, elementary histories, textbooks in fields which they may not know. It is amazing how hard it is to explain America to foreigners. The American soon finds out how little he knows his own country, and needs information about his own background, along with current materials concerning the enemy. Where radio propaganda is in question, the scriptwriters and broadcasters will read the enemy radio propaganda if they do not get enough fresh non-propaganda material concerning their audience. Sooner or later, this will degenerate into alternate soliloquies of the radio man on each side, each watching the other to see if he got a rise out of him last time. OWI people frequently expressed idiot glee at having made Radio Tokyo frantic. The OWI men were the first to admit that their glee was pointless, since it was the Japanese broadcaster and not the Japanese audience who responded. But for lack of current information about the enemy, the propagandist will refer to his own professional opponent. There is, of course, a very substantial difference between a change in enemy propaganda occasioned by a real inroad which one's own propaganda had made in enemy opinion, and a change that consists simply in angry or smart backtalk. Finding that difference is the responsibility of propanal, not of the operator. Pre-belligerent planning Pre-belligerent planning differs from regular planning in that it does not have the substantial context of actual military operations to make it realistic and urgent. Like all plans, the pre-belligerent plan should enumerate the facilities available, the basic course of action to be followed, and the limits within which offensive propaganda will be permitted. In fairness to the planners themselves, as well as to the authorities who will fit this plan into related military, economic, or political plans, the plan should define the proper scope of propaganda as applied to the contemplated situation. One of the most useful functions of the pre-belligerent plan lies in the periodic exercise which it gives in propaganda discipline. Information and intelligence agencies frequently see their jobs so technically that they lose sight of the need for coordination within the mechanism of an entire government. Press relations people try to get stories in the papers. Radio people try to maintain listener interest. Educational officers are concerned with the teachability of their materials. Spokesmen of the different agencies in related fields, such as shipping, air transport, currency control, social welfare, are apt to comment on a particular situation without reference to the needs of an inclusive national policy. How much advice was handed out on the occasion of the ultimatum to Tito? The Yugoslav authorities plainly risked politico-psychological pressure from us. They came prepared for the consequences, but both American official and private opinion expressed a wild medley of recommendations, suggestions, and analysis. Federal officials showed no better discipline than did the private citizens. Pre-belligerent planning may be forced on the United States by eventual international crises, but before that stage is reached, private and governmental persons working in the informational field might do well to consider how readily they could offer or enforce cooperation in the event of a real emergency. Psychological Warfare Plans A general plan for psychological warfare expresses the aims of the portion of the war, either in point of time or with respect to a stated area to which it refers. It states the maximum goals which psychological warfare can, with honest realism, be counted on to accomplish if all goes well. It indicates the minimum effect which, unlike combat operations, can fall precisely at zero. The general plan then goes on to state the conditions which will govern the operating agencies. 
The important part of this section lies in guessing where the operating agencies are likely to need coordination and where not. If the plan is to reveal highly important and therefore secret strategy, it should merely sketch the broad outlines of the processes intended, leaving to experts the responsibility of determining specific do's and don'ts. In such a case, however, the plan should not leave room for interagency or interpersonal doubt as to where the interpretive function lies. Too often, highly formal agreements are interpreted out of existence by propagandists who are interested in adding their own proposals to those set forth and agreed upon in the plan. When definition of the plan in operational terms is needed, the location of the subdefiner should be made very plain, unless the propaganda establishment itself happens to be remarkably well organized and in no further need of definite prescriptions of function. Footnote on Definition of the Plan in Operational Terms in the pseudo-technical propaganda slang of the OWI people, this was called spelling out. The same people, quote, stockpiled campaigns to needle, unquote, the enemy. End of footnote. The inclusion of actual political and military goals in a propaganda plan is an exceedingly ambitious undertaking. The goal, quote, to foster a spirit of nationalism and independence among the eastern Aracosian people to the end that they may revolt and set up their own pro-allied government, unquote, is a commitment beyond the reach of normal propaganda. It comes closer to requiring all the facilities of the operating state, financial, diplomatic, covert, and paramilitary, to put it into effect. The goal, quote, to give sympathetic circulation to Eastern Aracosian autonomous sentiments so as to promote interference with the occupying power, unquote, is much more nearly attainable. Military goals are often described by propagandists as attainable by means of propaganda alone, but there is no known example of psychological warfare having attained a strictly military goal without assistance by other means of warfare. Goals such as the defeat of blank, the surrender of blank, or the destruction of blank have no place in practical propaganda planning, since they are pretentious or deceptive. More legitimate are the goals actually obtained by propaganda, such as encouragement of a spirit of factionalism which may assist defeat, promotion of war weariness that will make the process of surrender more easily accomplished, and appeals for the destruction of blank. Such points may appear minor, but it is the overstatement of the propaganda case that has many times goaded disinterested outsiders into becoming skeptics or opponents. Political and military goals can be described only in terms of hopes. Effective psychological goals, goals resting in the form of opinion which it is desired to create, are very concrete. If enemy surrender is desired, Propaganda leaves to the operator no further scope for revenge themes which will frighten the enemy away from surrender. If the enemy leader is to be discredited on the basis of having poor military judgment, the contrasting good judgment of the enemy general is a necessary ingredient. The psychological goals have to be framed in terms of how much the enemy listener, the propaganda man, can stand and can believe. See page 153. Since he listens irregularly, furtively, and half-antagonistically, propaganda will defeat itself if it shifts from goal to goal with logical but fine-spun dexterity. Psychological goals are attained only by sustained, consistent patterns of propaganda. They have to be plain, repetitive, and insistent.
Political and military goals can be anything the planners feel like including as a pious wish. They might as well consist of a current restatement of political and military aims for the subject or area at the time of planning. They are beyond the reach of practical psychological warfare. National level and general staff level plans have to be made up in much the same way. If the plan is good, it will provide for its own circulation to all government instrumentalities which do in fact conduct propaganda in the particular field involved. It does no good to adopt a plan for the encouragement of the Filipinos and the inducement of cooperation among the Filipino officials of the Japanese-sponsored republic, which means a tone of conciliation toward Filipino leaders or officials who hold puppet titles, if a cabinet member keeps calling publicly for the immediate execution of any Filipino who ever had dinner with a Japanese. It is useless to try to cooperate with communist guerrillas in West Katai on the argument, we all oppose the axis together, ideologies don't matter when brave men fight side by side, if at the same time the guerrillas know we have a strong domestic campaign on against communism. Telling a communist that ideologies don't matter is like saying to a Jesuit, Let's skip the superstitions, Father, and leave religion out of it. Get down to business. To some kinds of people, ideology is business. The broad propaganda plan should make choices that reflect the judgment of the reviewing officers. If they are made in a vacuum, without taking into consideration the actual opinion of the audience group, they might as well not be made at all. Propaganda plans must be circulated to non-propaganda agencies in order to make sure that the routine public relations or announcements of current or contemplated action and statements of basic policy do not contradict or neutralize the plan once it is put into effect. Frequently, months of propaganda work can be undone by a tactless speech from somebody in the same government but in an unrelated agency. Authoritative circulation of the plan, which means that the plan must be neither long nor over-secret, can help forestall such mistakes. Speech clearance, requiring review of all official and policy-making speeches in advance of delivery, is the surest safeguard against overt collision between different spokesmen. In World War II, it was applied with some success, but the exceptions were so conspicuous that the effective coordination passed almost unnoticed. Strategic and Consolidation Plans Advanced psychological warfare plans for concrete military operations not only require a statement of the propaganda operation to be performed with facilities and personnel who are expected to remain static, but demand that the psychological warfare personnel, together with the needful gear, be moved right along with the advancing forces. This makes planning more definite, and those parts of the plans that do not require psychological or political prescription of content can be written in standard military form. Wise consolidation plans give urgent priority to the restoration of the homegrown informational media and recreational facilities of the occupied territory. Definite anticipation of shortages in radio facilities, newsprint, ink, paper, and other supplies can ensure prompt reopening of consolidated facilities underway. The propaganda operators may tell higher echelons that the local people are not competent, cannot be trusted, and so on, but General MacArthur's experience in Japan would seem to indicate that no army can carry on consolidation propaganda as efficiently as the conquered civilians themselves can, provided the civilians have 1. Reasonable, though restricted, freedom of utterance, so that they can know what they may or may not say. 2. Prompt liaison for security and policy clearance, so that they can get an authoritative yes-or-no answer on proposed projects, enabling them to maintain operation without intolerable delays. 
3. Friendly professional assistance in meeting material and staff shortages. 4. A series of phases marking off the forms and methods of control so that the controlling staff can plan for a first phase of doing its own publishing and broadcasting, a second phase of letting the local people work under license with close supervision and technical help, and a third phase of permitting them freedom within the normal censorship limits of military government. The American DISCCs, District Information Services Control Commands, in the American zone of Germany, did an excellent job in moving rapidly from Phase 1 to Phase 2 in 1945 and 1946. Contingency Plans Frequently, the chiefs of government and services know of an operation or danger that may arise which will change the character of the war. Such were the North African landings, the Italian surrender, D-Day itself, the joining of the American and Russian forces in Germany, Hitler's death. For such contingencies, it is desirable to have plans ready stating the reaction of the government to the event. Such plans can be prepared and distributed to select personnel, and downgraded or released together with any needed last-minute change when the first word comes through that the event is officially to be recognized. Profoundly secret contingencies, such as Hiroshima Day, do not lend themselves to such treatment. It must be repeated that plans are effective only when transposed into plain, simple, usable guidelines for the actual operatives. When a plan is so secret or so involved that the only people who could carry it out are not allowed to know anything about it, it becomes a sad, self-defeating effort. Figure 51. Basic Types. Start of War. This leaflet embodies almost all possible mistakes in psychological warfare. It was prepared to explain why war came between America and Japan, but was not even begun until many months after Pearl Harbor. The heading and style are official and formal. The message is no more than a footnote to history. Its last fault redeemed it. No arrangements were made for dropping it. End of figure 51. End of section 20. Read by Eli Bishop, San Francisco, March 29, 2021.